Hello, and welcome to this first episode of Global Tech Swamp in 2021. I am Alex, your host, and I'm here with the EU team, um, Anna and Morgan. Hello, and Happy New Year to both of you. Hello, and Happy New Year, Alex. Hi, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, so the start of the new year is always an exciting moment to look at what's ahead and identify what our members should be aware of. Um, the least we can say is that 2020 was an eventful year. With the coronavirus pandemic, many of us are spending more time than ever in front of screens and using digital tools. Um, and that's really boosted the digital industry, but has also raised some serious challenges. So in today's episode, we will be discussing what lies ahead in EU tech policy with Mike Sachs, our founder and chairperson here at the App Association. Um, so Mike, hi, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me again. We are really excited to have these conversations. I think they're really important as we look to 2021. But first, I want to make sure that we hit tech history and the latest headlines in Brussels. Using landline phones to make international phone calls seems like a thing from the past. Today, we can just pick up our phones and make a call from wherever we are to wherever we want using apps. However, it's worth considering how today's technologies still depend on the innovative infrastructure of the past. And January marks two important anniversaries um, in telecommunications. The first is the opening of the first commercial transatlantic telephone service on January 7, 1927, made possible by AT&T and Britain's General Post Services, um, Post Office, sorry, 94 years ago. And the second is the introduction of Apple's first ever iPhone on January 9, 2007. So without the cables that connect machines to the internet, the iPhone will be much less effective. Although we don't use many of the first transoceanic cables laid back in the day anymore because there are new fiber optic cables that have replaced the older lines, we nevertheless live in a world with of weathered cables. And today, over 95% of all internet traffic between nations separated by oceans still goes through cables that are underwater. And that's all for Tech History. And now it's time for Brussels Bites. December 31st, 2020 marked the end of the Brexit transition period. Luckily, with a last-minute agreement struck on the 24th of December, the EU and the UK governments avoided the catastrophic scenario of a no-deal Brexit. The recent EU-UK trade and cooperation agreement will govern the relationship between the EU and the UK as of January 1st, 2021. However, the negotiators ran out of time to approve the United Kingdom's data protection regime that would keep data flowing across the channel. Instead, they decided to introduce a workaround that allows the UK to be governed by the EU's data transfer framework for a maximum of six months, while the EU decides whether the British data protection regime is up to EU standards or not. So we will have more news on this in June or July of this year. Donald Trump's recent ban from social media has revived the political debate in Europe over who should police what people post on the internet. Several EU leaders, including uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, have raised concerns that a private company like Twitter should not have the power to determine whether or not the US president is allowed on its platform. This comes at a time where several member states, as well as the European Union institutions, have tabled new laws aimed at keeping people safe online. 
The EU proposal, the Digital Services Act, almost exclusively focuses on illegal content and counterfeited goods without really make, tackling the issue of harmful but legal content like misinformation. However, this new text will not be implemented before 2023 and therefore some are quite skeptical whether the EU will be realistically able to stop the spread of harmful content anytime soon, in particular linked to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Several high-tech European startups that were selected by a special European Commission innovation fund have complained about the messy process and how it actually left some of them on the verge of bankruptcy. Politico reports that the selected startups understood the EU would raise capital investments for them. However, they were later informed that this would not be the case and that they would need to raise at least half of the promised cash independently with investors they source themselves. This has put these promising startups in financial difficulties, some founders have said. When asked for comment, the European Commission indicated that the companies were only promised a firm equity amount and that the Commission was not forcing them to go out for funding, but rather it is helping them to attract other investors. Attracting funding is traditionally an issue for European startups, and while it seems that the Commission meant well, the effort wasn't executed successfully. And that's all for Brussels Bites. And now it's time for our policy discussion. Um, so in 2020, Europeans had to adapt to their new reality with the coronavirus pandemic. For many of us, this meant migrating our lives almost completely online. So this comes at a time when Europe is aiming to reinforce its digital single market, but also working on creating a safer environment for its citizens and businesses. Um, many digital policy initiatives are on the table in the EU for 2021. To give you an idea of what's ahead, we have picked some of the most important ones for our members to discuss, um, and we're going to discuss those with our chairperson and in-house app developer, Mike Sachs. Um, so Mike, hi, and, and welcome. We're excited to have you here for the conversation. It's a pleasure to be here again. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, we have seen the app economy grow exponentially in, in the last few years, so it seems more important than ever to make sure that we have a regulatory environment that really allows for the app economy to grow. Um, do you have some thoughts you can share on that? Yes, uh, absolutely. The, um, the app economy is thriving. It has continued to do so even during the pandemic. And like you said, apps have become even more important in our lives and in our work. Um, we think that the uh, app economy will continue to grow. And uh, earlier this year, we released our report on the state of the app economy in Europe, along with uh, Deloitte. And uh, it's an economic study that basically looks at the app economy in Europe, all the companies that are doing such uh, tremendous work, uh, creating value in our lives. And, uh, you know, even today, the app economy is worth, you know, billions of, of euros every year and is uh, supporting millions of jobs in Europe. But we expect, expect that to continue um, in the future. Mobile apps will uh, continue to play an increasingly important role in our economy, uh, in particular with the Internet of Things, where apps constitute um, the interface of uh, these devices and uh, allows uh, users to to control these devices like thermostats and measuring things and uh, medical devices. And uh, even in this year, there will be 25 billion connected devices 
that we will all control uh, using apps. And we, we expect uh, tremendous growth in this area. Um, 2021 will be a crucial year and uh, it will it involve a lot of discussion about regulations. And we want to be part of that discussion because we believe that many of these reg regulations will have unintended consequences. And we want lawmakers to be fully aware of how they affect small businesses like our members. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, kind of related to everything that you've just sort of set up for us, I think one of the first really key topics for us is sort of this conversation around big tech and competition. Um, you know, obviously, we've talked a lot about this in previous episodes, uh, both in the EU and in the US. Um, and it's already been, you know, it has been a big focus of 2020. Um, but I think it's already sort of become a part of the conversation, even now at the beginning of 2021. So how do we think it's likely to evolve throughout this year? And, and and how do we see sort of it ultimately affecting, um, you know, SMEs in, in this space? Well, there's going to be a lot of regulation crafted this year. Uh, the, com the Commission and the European Parliament have made it very clear that uh, the regulation of competition in the platform economy will be a top priority, uh, even throughout uh, this pandemic. And they, uh, you know, they want to make sure that competition is fair. Uh, we also want to make sure that not too much focus is on the big players, but that, that the commission also thinks about the smaller companies. Uh, the commission will, um, so in December, last December, a few weeks ago, uh, the commission introduced a really important piece of legislation called the Digital Markets Act. And that includes a list of do's and don'ts for very large online platforms, what they call gatekeepers. And they say that this is only meant to affect those really large companies, but we know that all those regulations will have tremendous consequences for small companies. It's a little bit like squeezing a long balloon. The commission says, well, don't worry, we're only squeezing here, but we know that will it will affect other companies on the other side of that balloon. And that's where our members do business. Um, um, so you sort of alluded to this, but I want to talk a little bit more about what we sort of see as the potential unintended consequences for small companies um, sort of within the Digital Markets Act. Yes, yeah, so there are quite a few of them, and then I'll, I'll just uh, give you a few examples maybe. Um, for example, the, you know, there's a lot of uh, pressure to reduce the level of gatekeeping. And gatekeeping sometimes is viewed as a bad word, but we actually think that, uh, you know, the gatekeeping can serve a really useful function, which is to keep all the bad actors out and to provide a consistent level of quality and trustworthiness and privacy protection for everybody in this marketplace, like an app store. Um, this is really important for small companies, right? Because if you are, a consumer, an iPhone user or a, an Android user, and you're going through the app store, you're trying to decide which apps you want to download. If there are a lot of harmful uh, apps out there, you're only going to trust the really big brands that you're familiar with. And smaller companies that don't have big brands so that are new startups or that are not very well known will no longer be installed. And so this will, if, if you allow a lot more apps that could have much lower standards to be uh, on those app stores, 
you're basically reducing the trust that people have in the app stores for for good reason because you know they they can no longer trust those apps and they will only go for the big brands so that regulation would be a tremendous benefit for well established global brands and would be tremendously harmful for small companies the other thing is that for example the the payment mechanisms in the app stores right now are really designed to make things as frictionless as possible to use the the uh, accounts that are built up in in people's phones so that people who uh you know have their own mechanisms and accounts in place don't have a specific advantage over smaller companies that depend on these services so being able to go through the app store for your billing and as a consumer knowing that you can file a complaint and somebody will answer it that if you want a refund you will get a refund you won't be left uh, hanging high and dry that you're your credit card won't be billed um, numerous times without your consent because you'll have somebody to to complain to those are again really important things that you know preserve the trust in apps that are sold through these app stores and again if we if we reduce that level uh, of protection that the app stores can provide it's another form of gatekeeping but it remain it keeps the trust high and it really benefits the small companies. Those are just two two examples. There there are several more, but we can go into them more deeply at some other episode. So, what about the concept of like legal certainty as it relates to this? Well, so a big question that need, remains to be answered is what are the criteria for being a gatekeeper and when those um, regulations apply to you. Um, you know, the commission has talked about company size and other uh, things. But if you think about it, there are a lot of companies that are essentially their own little platforms, right? That, that uh, you know, have a number of customers. If you, if you allow yoga teachers to create content on top of your, as part of your app, you are essentially a micro platform. Now, maybe that's not important for you right now if you're a tiny little startup. But if you if you want to grow and you want to become a big company, um, at some point the regulations might kick in, and and you have to worry about it. Uh, for for app makers in terms of legal certainty, it's it's really important that whatever regulations end up affecting the big platforms doesn't end up changing their behavior in a way that would harm them. For example. If you greatly increase the liability for platforms around uh, the things that are done on their platform, you're going to make it. You're you're going to make those platforms much more nervous about allowing apps and especially really innovative apps on on their platforms. They're only going to allow what they know uh, is predictable and and they know how to assess the risk of. So uh, we don't want regulations that end up you know putting the squeeze on uh the bigger platforms who will then just pass on that squeeze to the smaller companies that would be very harmful for for all of us and it would never benefit the consumers uh at all so 
we want to help the commission think through these scenarios and look at the consequences because tech is very quickly evolving and you know a regulation that made sense three years ago may seem completely outdated if you would try to enact it uh, today and you know this regulation will take two or three years to take effect so even the things that we're talking about right now might be outdated when the re regulation takes effect Right. I think that's such an important piece of this conversation, too, which is sort of that idea of the time frame, um, especially because we do expect the the conversations to sort of be laborious and to and to sort of take the next couple of years to really get through. Um, and so knowing that that the expected time frame is relatively long, I'm sure adds to questions around legal certainty and these unintended consequences for small businesses. Yes, and we, we don't expect the DMA um, to enter into force before maybe 2023. Um, but like you said, the conversations that we will have today will hopefully, you know, create a regulation that is based on principles that doesn't re try to regulate specific technologies or put put the platforms in a box that then kind of limits the level of innovation. Because if you look back, you know, we used we started if in the App Store with just free and paid apps. And then, you know, we got in-app purchases and then we got subscriptions and all those different things uh, have evolved over time tremendously and are co constantly changing. And so, you know, you cannot regulate a snapshot of technology. That is a big mistake because then you're going to have an outdated regulation before it's even put into force. Yeah, so moving on from technology regulation, um, what about content regulation? We also saw increasing pressure to push tech companies to do more when it comes to policing the content that's on their platforms um, and that's available online. So there are several initiatives that have been launched by regulators around the world to tackle this and in, particularly, uh, in particular in Europe. So how do you see that evolving this year? Yeah, that's an important issue on both sides of the Atlantic and across the world. Um, it has been on the agenda of, of policymakers everywhere for quite a while. Um, but I think the pandemic and the spread of mis misinformation about the virus, which could have really deadly consequences, uh, has certainly highlighted the problem even more. Um, you know, Twitter just decided recently to suspend the account of the uh, president of the United States. That was a really uh, impactful move that in some ways was shocking to a lot of people. And uh, even the European Commission has stated that it is no longer acceptable for platforms to, to make key decisions by themselves without any supervision, accountability, or transparency. Uh, like you mentioned er earlier, uh, Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, has commented uh, on this as well and expressed her concern. So we can definitely expect uh, regulation around this uh, being crafted this year. And actually in December, the commission not only uh, introduced uh, digital, the DMA, but also the Digital Services Act, the DSA, which uh, essentially is uh, a regulation for all the content and the liability uh, of uh, platforms uh, for third-party content and activities uh, on, on their platform. Um, and so in that regulation, 
the DSA, what is important for our members to know? Well, the first thing to be aware of is that this regulation doesn't only apply to the really big companies. It will pretty much apply to everybody. You know, if you are an online intermediate service, uh, if you offer network infrastructure, you do hosting, um, if you're an online platform, like an online marketplace or an app store, or you have um, services that allow different companies to collaborate, um, of course, uh, social networks, all of those companies will be affected by the DSA and it will apply to those. So most tech companies that are active in the economy that are uh, creating apps that involve multiple companies will have to pay attention to this regulation. Um, the, the, the requirements that the regulation uh, puts on, on these companies are, you know, quite substantial. Um, online platforms have to put in place uh, user-friendly uh, notices and takedown mechanisms for uh, notification of, of illegal or harmful content. Um, there are transparency obligations when you're showing uh, online ads. You need to show where those um, come from and why they are shown. Um, there are uh, important traceability requirements um, around the uh, principle of knowing your customer. So platforms uh, can keep track of that information and identify people so they can help track down uh, sellers of illegal content or goods or services and, uh, and, and piracy. And in terms of penalties, uh, there are, you know, fines up to 6% of annual income if you don't comply with uh, any of these uh, regulations. So um, it's something that every single business that creates an app or software technology that involves multiple parties needs to be fully aware of. And, and all of this, of course, um comes at a cost and even though you know the ob obligations may somewhat depend on size and uh the impact of um the provider that provides a service they still have the potential to apply uh in a disproportionate way to to smaller players and then finally um this is important for companies outside of the eu uh if you are if you want to do business in the EU, you have to have a legal representative in the EU, EU uh, according to this regulation. And so you have to have somebody just like GDPR that you appoint uh, who will represent you legally. And uh, that seems like a very trivial thing for very large companies, but if you're a very small company and you only have a few customers in the EU, that might really be a significant burden. So, you know, Again, we're trying to make sure that these regulations are crafted in such a way that they don't disproportionately harm uh, smaller companies like our members. Right. So this will be definitely something we need to closely look at uh, this year. Um, yeah. And lastly, let's talk about data and data flows. So the EU is trying to build a single market for data through legislation, including the Data Governance Act and the Data Act that will be introduced later this year. Do you think this is a good thing for tech SMEs overall? 
Overall, I think it's really good that there is some guidance and uh, regulation around the sharing of data in such a way that uh, helps, you know, technologies like AI and small businesses working together, um, but at the same time also pre preserves uh, privacy. If you really shut down data sh sharing, um, the only companies that really win are the enormous companies that already gather a lot of data, like, you know, the Googles and the Amazons and the Facebooks of the world. Uh, smaller companies need to be able to work together and share customer data because they want to offer services to their customers that those customers will benefit from. And, you know, I love buying things from small companies and I love it when different small companies can work together to make a better solution for me. So that's that's why this regulation is really important. Uh, it really helps data to be shared across different companies in a way that respects privacy. And also those companies can be from different member states. Um, and that's important too, because we need a harmonized legislative framework for data governance. And this is a great step in that uh, direction. That does sound really promising for data flows within the EU, but what about data flows outside the EU, given the reality of Brexit and the fact that we no longer have the US-EU privacy shield? Yes, um, that is somewhat more problematic uh, right now. So um, during the Brexit negotiations, which all happened predominantly at the last minute, it seems, um, they weren't really figure, able to figure out uh, a good solu permanent solution. So they they put in some essentially stopgap solution that will last for I think six months, and that will give them time to to create um, a more comprehensive uh, way to to regulate the data flow between um, the European uh, mainland and and uh, the UK across the ch channel, so to speak. Across the Atlantic, um, as we've talked about in previous episodes, the Privacy Shield regulation has been uh, completely shut down by the Schrems lawsuits. And um, we are currently in a vacuum. Uh, it's very difficult for small companies to figure out uh, how to operate. And we really hope that the EU and the US government will be able to figure that out as quickly as possible. Um, it's a very complicated situation that involves, you know, uh, policies of lawful access, especially in the U.S. Uh, to data and, and differences in, uh, you know, the levels of protection of U.S. citizens um, and, and uh, EU citizens. So I really hope that it can be worked out. Um, I'm not super optimistic about it. But hopefully, uh, both across the channel and across the Atlantic, uh, data flow will continue in a way that small businesses uh, have, you know, both the guidance and the legal certainty that they need to be able to effectively serve customers around the world. Uh, 
Thank you, Mike, so much for your insights on um, sort of what we're going to be focusing on within the EU and our policy issues in 2021. It's so much to focus on. Um, and, you know, I, we will make sure, of course, that we're keeping all of our members updated. Um, if anyone needs any additional information, please don't hesitate to reach out via social media or email. Um, we're also going to have all this information in our show notes, so feel free to check there for any and all information. Um, I think this is a really helpful conversation for me, even just to think about how ACT is going to be looking at the EU and our priorities in the EU. So thank you again, um, Mike, for joining us. My pleasure. All right, now it is time for our random identifier. Um, Morgan, I'm gonna kick it to you first. What do you have for us in this new year? <laughs> so actually this week, there are two things that I did. January is a great moment because I get to eat um, this special cake that we have, we have a tradition. It's the, it, for the epiphany. I don't know if you have that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's the stuffed cake with French Japan. So with COVID, I had the opportunity to eat a, a full cake by myself nice. while watching uh, Bridgerton. Uh, <laughs> so I discovered this series, which is a bit of a mix between Jane Austen and Gossip Girl. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> That's a great description. It is a yeah. perfect description. <laughs> So I don't know if I should recommend it, but <laughs> if you want to think about absolutely nothing and be entertained, well, there you go. You have something uh, to, to, to look at. So yeah, I think that's exactly the right. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I would say about it. <laughs> um, Anna, what about you? Um, my random identifier are my house plants. Um, we have a few in my house, like a snake plant, like some succulents, aloe, and such, like all around my house. Um, but I noticed how I also have several plants that I don't know the type of, oh. and that's because I buy them at my grocery store and they don't label them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, like how I've had these plants for a long time, but I don't even know what they are. And then on my mission to figure out what plants I own I got this cool app that lets you snap a picture and then tells say, you yeah. yeah what plant it is and how to take care of it and I realized that I'm very late to this trend seeing that we've recommended plant ID apps multiple times on our app association blog <laughs> but but you got I there discovered this on Friday and since I've been telling everyone about it regardless and now I'm telling everyone about it on the podcast I love that I, <laughs> I think recommend. sometimes I think sometimes like we don't really um go to use an app until we sort of like need the app and then as soon as we find out about it we're like oh my god there really is an app for that and it's exactly. so great to get to talk about yeah i'm the same way i'm the same way and it's very <laughs> cool to just like take a picture and then you're like wow this is what i've been taking care of for over a year now <laughs> exactly um well my uh random identifier um so I have talked about this book with other members of Act Staff um, just because I really loved it. And I read it right before sort of the holiday. Um, and it's called How to Write One Song. And it's by Jeff Tweedy, who is mm. kind of like the lead singer and sort of like band organizer of Wilco. Um, and uh, anyway, he wrote this book as sort of like a way to like inspire people to write their own song if they so chose. Um, but what I found when I read it is that it sort of made me excited about playing like games with language and like thinking about language in new ways and sort of finding out um, sort of like new techniques that I could use to change the kinds of words I'm using day to day. I don't think that was ever his intent for this book, but that was sort of what I got out of it. And that was sort of why I recommended it to other members um, 
of our staff just because I sort of felt like it it made me excited about using language um, and I think at a time where it's been weird to sort of hunker down and like write something it was a great way for me to finish out some of the stuff I had to write for the year um, so that's that would be what I would share uh, from my random identifier um, and Mike you're still with us so I'd love to love to know what your random identifier might be for this beginning of the year so Alex, are you going to uh, write a song and can we look forward to your performance in a future episode? <laughs> I think I think it's more likely I would maybe write a maybe try to write a poem first and then if mm -hmm. I really like how that poem turns out, we'll see. <laughs> I won't make any promises. <laughs> well, my random identifier is extremely boring, but it's something that I'm very excited about, so I have to choose and share it. Um, it's the M1 chip from Apple. Um, so Apple has uh, introduced a new line of Macs and they, instead of using the Intel chips uh, that they've been using, they are using their own chips that they've been uh, developing for iPhones and iPads. And they created a, a more powerful version of it that is now part of the MacBook Air and the MacBook uh, Pro 13 inch line and a Mac mini. And it is so amazing. It's so powerful. It's very quiet and the fan never comes on. Um, I have several uh, of my fellow app uh, makers who used to have and, and still do uh, have uh, iMac Pros, which are, you know, really powerful iMacs. I think they cost about $5,000 uh, that they use for all the, their development. They got a MacBook Air, which is now like, you know, 1200 uh, euros or something like that, or, or less than that. <clears throat> and uh, that computer is faster and quieter than the big fancy computer that they have uh, on their desk sitting right now. And some of them have actually completely switched right now. So it's a revolution that only happens, you know, once every 10 years or so. And it's just the beginning of it. Um, but I am, I, I got one of uh, the 13-inch uh, MacBook Pros, and I've been really enjoying it. Um, Xcode and all the development tools are so fast. I don't have to worry about my computer's fans going crazy in the middle of conferences or Zoom calls or WebEx calls or, or Teams calls. Everything is quiet, and everything runs fast, and there are no waits, and I just completely love it. I feel like I'm living in the future. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the dream. <laughs> um, well, we have reached the end of Tech Swamp. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this EU edition. And if you want any further information, you can go to our website and our podcast page where we'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And you can subscribe to Tech Swamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to be updated on our, all our latest podcasts. And you can follow what we're doing on a daily basis uh, on Twitter at EU AppMakers. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, until next time, bye all. Bye. bye. bye.